Welcome to Love Beyond. This podcast is powered by the National Day of Prayer Task Force. Subscribe and listen on your favorite podcast platform today. Visit unitedinlove.org forward slash love beyond. Welcome to the Love Beyond podcast, where we are loving like Jesus through loving beyond. My name is Kanita Benson, Director of Intercultural Prayer and Missions for the National Day of Prayer Task Force. This is a space for which crucial conversations will take place that will strengthen the church to walk in unity as the word of God mandates for the people of God. Love Beyond is powered by United in Love, an initiative of the National Day of Prayer Task Force, birthed to bring the body of Christ together toward prayer, care, share, living. We are so excited about today's episode where we will be talking around the topic of reclaiming a generation established in God. One of the greatest aspects of ministry and church growth is centered on youth and young adults, understanding how to effectively engage, evangelize, and disciple the younger generation in this culture is something that many ministries are still learning how to navigate. Well, I can't think of anyone better to discuss this with than a transformational leader faithfully serving this effort, Mr. Jeff Eckert, founder of Never the Same and lead pastor of Daybreak Church. Welcome, Jeff. Hi, Kanita. It's so good. I'm looking at you right now on Zoom, so it's really good to see you and to be here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's always good to see you. I, every time I get to uh, be around you, whether it's for National Day of Prayer or other ministry initiatives, I'm always very inspired uh, just by your relentless heart to serve God and his people. So this is truly a privilege uh, for myself and for everyone who's going to be hearing this episode. So we're so grateful you're here. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You are an inspiring person to me as well. And this is going to be a lot of fun here. Absolutely. Absolutely. But let's delve right in. We got a lot to cover. And um, I really just pray that this is a time that would help to enlighten people because Anybody who has who is an adult has been a teenager before, <laughs> but oftentimes <laughs> once you become an adult, it's almost like you completely forget about how to engage with anybody younger than you. Yeah, and um, we got to do better with that, you know, especially when we talk about living united as the body of Christ and seeing a revival you know, um, not only in the church, but in our nation together to see lives changed. And we see all too often in scripture how God has used young people to advance his kingdom in exponential ways. And so I'm hoping that you can just help to shed some light uh, for the listeners today so that we can leave more compelled on how to engage with the younger generation. So without further ado, we could kick this off just by hearing more from you about how Never the Same began. Why don't you share with us just the burden for this mission and the vision? Yeah, Never the Same began in 2009. I was at a local church, serving in local church ministry for about full-time 16 years up to that point. And there's a series of events, but it was the burden uh, for two things, really to see student transformation at events, and then also to see prayer uh, initiatives happening on school campuses, which we were doing where we lived and still live in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So I really felt on a specific day, it was November 1st, 2008, really felt a call 
I was at an event and uh, to, to launch this ministry. It's not really something I'd want to do, plan to do, but mm. a few months later in 2009, we launched the ministry called Never the Same. Um, and our vision is new generations transformed um, by the king- through the kingdom of God. And we want to see new generations transformed in Christ. And we do that through kind of three avenues. Um, theology, community, and technology. Theology is important. It's a part of who we are as a ministry. And we talk about the hard things. We talk to students today about biblical sexuality. We talk to them about prayer. We talk to them about being in the word, a lot of the basic things. Community is important. Community is surrounding these students with not only peers, but also very importantly, adult mentors. This also includes families and parents. But we've seen COVID has revealed our need for community. Yes. We traveled all summer and I saw many, I saw thousands of students this summer and we saw the effects of what isolation does. So we are a gathering people. We know that. So community is important. And then technology, obviously that's something that affects every single one of us. Students right. are always on the forefront of that. So that's uh, an important component of what we do in the technology that we use. So theology, community technology, we put them in that order for a reason, because that is an order of importance. But we use all three of those to see students really transformed um, by Christ. Amen. That's so powerful. I love those three components are so critical. Um, they are major tenants of um you know, the theology, our spiritual formation, of course, our understanding of God and the Bible, um, what we believe, you know, our doctrine and all of that. But the technology, I, I love that because it speaks to the church being relevant. That's such a great, great need. And sometimes we can be reluctant to embrace these tribe of Issachar moments where we need to understand the times and know what to do. And technology is where the younger generation is. It's how they engage, it's how they receive information, it's how they interact with everything. And so um, all three of those components are just so, so, I think just genius um, that you're doing that. Speaking of theology, I love to just know how are you grounding discipleship of the younger generation in scripture and theology, especially in light of biblical illiteracy that is rampant throughout our country as a whole. Yes, it's a huge burden that we have. And part of our ministry and those listening, if if they go to neverthesame.org, you can see our parent website and we have several ministries. We'll talk about a couple of them here, but one of our ministries is called Soul Exercises. I actually wrote this over 20 years ago, used it in a local church to take my students through the Bible to get them in the word. It integrates daily devotions for students. It integrates a big room teaching and a small group component, but that transformed our ministry. And I've I've spent 30 years working with students. And I say this all the time to people, the one thing that I'm the most excited about, and I saw the most transformation in ministry settings of all different kinds is when I started to get my students and my church in the word. Mm. So soul exercises is really important. And Kennedy, you mentioned a term that we've, we've wrestled with for a long time and that's biblical literacy. How do we get students 
And I feel this burden for churches. Um, I personally think we've reached the end of our topical preaching era, so to speak, of a lot of churches and particularly speaking of just the United States, um, which is, you know, the context I'm most familiar with, but, and getting into more of just, it's a fancy word, but exegetical. I know you know what that means, but just, you know, more of a, a Bible, um, centered approach rather than a topic centered approach. So we're, we're really engaging churches around the country through soul exercises to get into the word, um, in their youth meetings, but also giving a path for students to get into that in their own personal lives. And you know, what's on the other side of biblical literacy is biblical fluency. Mm. And that's really our ultimate goal is so that we not just, I would say biblical literacy is a great first step because it's biblical literacy is more of like, I can answer the factual questions about scripture. I know the books of the Bible. I know the characters. I know some of the the events and things, but biblical fluency is is that that deeper layer, and that's ultimately where we want to get people and get students. But it's a huge uh, initiative that we have, soul exercises, and it's really transforming churches and ministries around the country as they're getting their students into the Word. And we're really proud of that. That's phenomenal. Oh goodness, I think that's one of the. Um, I think that's an answer. One that confirms it, it, it confirms that the word works. A lot of times we don't need to necessarily get too gimmicky when it comes to spreading the gospel and discipling younger people, give them the word, you know, the unadulterated word of God, empower them to learn how to study it for themselves. And that helps to strengthen them and fortify them to a place where culture is not able to sift them to and fro. Um, which I firmly believe is one of the reasons, you know, that not happening contributes to this great falling away uh, that we see. So what an encouragement. One of the things that burdens my heart is the identity of Christ is, is so challenged. Um, and that happens a lot with middle high school and college students, people understanding, um, who God is, but sometimes experiencing a misrepresentation of his identity. So how can we encourage young people uh, on why it matters to know the truth and to walk in boldness in this critical hour? We, we talk with students. Our approach with students is um, to start with who God is. I know a lot of ministries, and I don't mean to sound negative, but I think a lot of times, and I I had this approach in the past, my approach to get students to understand their identity was to start with their identity. But what I learned over the years is a better place to start is to start with who God is. What's his identity? Because when we understand him, Mm. that's really the only lens that we can really truly understand ourselves. So we talk about that. Who is God? And I mentioned it earlier, but you know, one of the things that ministries in general, a lot of them I know, they're really afraid to walk into that minefield of sexuality. Yeah. And I mention it now because it is obviously the, the conversation of our day. And we really, we've chosen specifically as a ministry to walk into that realm and talk about it. What does biblical sexuality look like? And 
what we're finding now is more than ever, it seems with students is that their identity is wrapped up in how they feel at the moment. Uh-huh. What's their feeling? So for example, if I feel like uh, God, why would all these bad things happen to me? This is really a generation that's been left and abandoned in many ways by their families, by their parents, by their peers. And so that creates these feelings of rejection and loneliness and pain and hurt. And so students saying, why would a God, um, you know, why would I want to love or God that has allowed so much pain in my life? And so we try to walk them through, those are your feelings, but let's talk about facts. Let's talk about faith. Yeah. First, And so that's the approach that we take with students is starting there with who God is and put feelings in their proper place, not ignore them, but put them in the proper perspective. That's so, so good. I think that's a life changing methodology to use for young people because it teaches them not to be slaves to their emotions, Yeah, to live with them, um, but not by them. Um, which can help really strengthen their faith, you know, and their resolve in who God is. So that is just so encouraging. Well, I'm excited because you recently took on a lead pastor role. Um, and I'm sure that has brought on its own slew of challenges um, and such a great mantle of responsibility. But what new challenges are you seeing for the younger generation as you oversee the ministry at Daybreak? Well, it's, it's been an unexpected journey. We were talking offline, you and I, Kenita, about the last year and, and uh, just where God's taking us personally. And I never really expected this to happen. I'm going to continue to lead Never the Same, our National Youth Ministry Organization, taking a little bit of a different role, but stepped into this role as lead pastor about six weeks ago and very excited. When it comes to the next generation in our church, I'll tell you one thing very specifically that we are doing is investing financially into the next generation. We're doing that through staff and through some budgeting. But mm-hmm. I, I think that we can say, well, something's important, but if there's no resource behind it and what I want to, any encouragement, and again, I've worked in the local church for 20 years, the last 11 years, I've been uh, leading this national ministry, but always very deeply connected and tethered to local churches. I've been, yeah. Before this lead pastor I was at a church working there and attending for 21 years. So I'm very grounded in a local church. And I want to say this to anyone listening that's in a local church, particularly leading, is that we have to put our money where our mouth is. And if we are saying next generation is important, we've got to put money there. We've got to put effort there, even if we think we don't have it. I know a lot of churches are saying, well, we don't have as many students as we used to. And so we cut back our staff. And I think you staff for your growth, you staff for the future in in ways that are appropriate. So that's one specific thing that we're doing. But really integrating students into the entire church body is another thing that we're really focusing on in these days at daybreak. That's awesome. That is so awesome. Oh, goodness. I mean, that could be an entire episode all by itself. Yeah. Just investing, you know, in the next generation in ways that we should be doing that. As a church, if we say we believe in them, we want the gospel to be advanced. If you're not investing in young folk, if that's not a part of like your main, you know, vision, at least some 
part of it, that's going to be a troubling thing, you know, um, if you're really seeking to grow uh, your ministry and see fruit there. Um, but I think that, you know, I want to just hear from you on what are encouraging opportunities uh, for gospel sharing to Gen Zers and, you know, the next generation, you know, I was just, you know, we were talking offline about me preparing for marriage and my fiance and I were talking about Lord and just praying into how can we have, you know, God give us more creative ways to evangelize this next generation, just evangelize as a whole, because talking about Jesus in this culture is so different than it was when you were going out doing door to door evangelism, maybe five or 10 years ago. It's different. It's so different. And so what are some opportunities that you've seen uh, that we can evangelize Gen Z? I, we, we're always big on making sure people have a method, a verbal method of sharing their faith. Because I think this idea of, uh, and there's this old phrase that uh, listeners may have heard, but, you know, share the gospel and when necessary, use words. <laughs> I really believe that words are preeminently important. Absolutely. Because I could say to my kids, you know, as I've raised three daughters, things that are important. And of course, they're going to see things in my life, but I have specific conversations at very intentional times with them. And so I think what, what our approach is, I think them knowing a method, a path, a way of, of talking about what it is they believe. And that may sound mechanical. I think to a lot of students, they go, well, this seems really mechanical. No, it's not mechanical And when you share it, but just knowing what to say. I think a lot of people go, I don't even know what to say. So giving them a place to start that's very simple. And uh, over the years, this is something like you said, Kenita, we've you know, changed our methods. The message stays the same, but right. we've, we've done the, the wristband thing with uh, a method called the four which is based on kind of a um, iconic approach in terms of when I say iconic, like visually I- iconic, right? Four different things. It's basically the four spiritual laws in visual form. Um, but we're always pushing that. And I will tell you, like um, sometimes we, we kind of um, project our feelings onto students and go, well, students are cynical and all that. They're actually not. They're not afraid. We've surveyed students over the years wow. and we found they're, they're not afraid to share their faith with people. It's a lot of times it's a knowledge thing. I don't know what to say or where to start. So giving them those practical things is one of the things that we, we do as a ministry and as a local church. It's so good. That's so, so good. Wow. I think, you know, one of the struggles that when we talk about, you know, evangelizing Gen Z, the next generation, I love that Never the Same has this relational component of community there. And then, like you said, not projecting our own, sometimes our feelings and even our fears of being rejected by a younger generation who is also a very intelligent generation. You know, <laughs> this is, these are the most, you know, educated young people probably, you know, in generations past because of the information age, you know, there's so much accessible to them. Um, 
But I think that we're in a position now as a church where we're reclaiming a generation. And that's what kind of was the focus of this particular episode is getting a generation who is drifting because of biblical literacy. Those, those who have not been reached or those who need to come back to Christ. Um, that's, I think, something that is high priority for us as a church. So what would it take to reclaim a generation that's been jaded, you know, by a church that has been connected to moral failure and a weakened testimony in a lot of instances? I think some people have lost faith, you know, in the church or what it means to be a Christian. So what do you think it would take to reclaim this generation? Well, I think it begins with stopping and then it also means starting some things. And, and I'll, I'm going to jump on a, a virtual soapbox here for a second. And I would say this, that, <laughs> <Go right ahead. laughs> yeah, you know, I, I just, I'm so deeply concerned and burdened for uh, the amount of negativity that Christian leaders specifically and Christians highlight about the church. And, and I want to be very specific here and talk about social media. So to reclaim a generation, one of the things that we need to stop doing is stop bashing the bride of Christ in public. I, I feel I, I feel a mixture of sadness, anger, frustration when I see that. I see fellow ministry leaders say, for example, a couple months ago, my wife, a friend of ours, you know, um, on a social media post, uh, a friend of ours, she wrote, no wonder why people don't go to church anymore. And this is a, a person, local ministry leadership. And I thought to myself, what does a non-Christ follower think about the church and where the church is trending? And what does a young person think? You've just implanted something in their mind. So when we say the church is screwed up and it has failures, well, of course it does, but everything does. Right. And so we need to stop doing that. And I just want to appeal to anyone listening, stop the negative talk about the church on social media. That is not the appropriate place. And we have platforms, every single one of us, no matter how big or small our social media following is, we have a mixed bag of people in there, some that are not Christ followers and we represent the church. So right. we have to represent the church better. What we need to start doing is start pointing out the beauty of Christ to this generation. We need to help them understand, of course, their shortcomings and their failures. But one of the things that we need to start doing is start going back to what the church is meant to be. The church is not meant to be a political force. That's the right. church is not meant to be, um, you know, the source of, of any and all reform in, in all of society, although it does come from us, but sure. we focus on these, you know, peripheral issues and we've stopped thinking about our individual responsibility as believers. Now, do we need to be involved in societal and justice issues? Of course, and I'm involved in those things personally, but first things first, we as believers, we have to to help students understand, we have to show them the beauty of the bride. And I say, I say it this way to people. Um, if you were around me and you'd say, Jeff, I love being around you, but I can't stand your wife, Ariana. I'd be done with you. Right. And for people to be inside the body of Christ, you know, speaking derogatory, I just always often think, what does Christ think about someone who is, um, 
you know, doing saying that about his own bride, it, it makes me very sad and frustrated. Oh my goodness, that I, we are like literally, you're already my brother, but I just am so encouraged because I carry that same burden. You know, I was even thinking, I said, sometimes the church operates as if it has an autoimmune disease because it attacks itself from the inside out. Yeah. And it's like, we're supposed to be a light to the world and we need each other. And so it's like a body saying, I don't need my hand. You don't want to be without your hand or your foot or your leg or we need each other. And so I'm so encouraged by that, just that admonition and charge that you've given the listeners that we need to start showing off the beauty of the bride. That is the greatest way to be a witness when we show ourselves as unified. Yes. You know, because it's not about these, you know, um, the, the, the issues that are, that show off our humanity because we know that we're human. That's why we need the Lord, (laughs) you know? Um, so I'm so grateful for that. And that is a good segue into this next question because there also are, you know, a lot of parents who are raising their children, they're training them up in the ways of the Lord. And sometimes, you know, the, the child may grow up and, and not receive it, or they may walk away from Christ. And I've actually prayed with parents. Um, there's some prayer groups that I'm a part of and praying for parents who are just so heartbroken um, because they're, they're, you know, children have walked away from Christ or they don't profess Christ any longer. And so what word of encouragement could you give to parents who may be feeling discouraged about their child walking away or they're in a prodigal son kind of situation? Yeah, there, there's so much of that. And I feel that burden as well. Kenita, I feel uh, my own family, I've the fourth of four boys and um, Mm -hmm. four several decades, two of my brothers really went astray from faith. We were raised by Christian parents. Right. Two of them really walked away um, up until they were in their adult years, in their 30s. And what I say to parents is stay engaged, keep praying, and allow God to help you with whatever guilt or shame that you might be feeling, whether it's real or not. I think the amount of guilt and shame that parents deal with, that's a, that's a tough mental burden to carry. I carry it sometimes as a parent, being right. a parent because you know, you're not perfect. You know, you see very clearly the mistakes that you made. But what I say to a lot of parents dealing with guilt and shame is I would say a lot of parents I know, the more they deal with guilt, probably the less they really have to feel guilty about. The guilt is because they care so much. And right. To parents of any stage, there, there's really one common denominator um, that I give to parents. There's just one piece of advice. If there's one that's uni- most universal to me is, is engage. Mm. Is if you're engaged in your kid's life, no matter what age or stage that they are. I think when we become disengaged is when things can wow. really go off the rails. So if they're, if they're in a place anyone listening where you're, you feel like your kids are just so far from faith. Um, I would say stay engaged mm. and keep praying and don't be discouraged. And ultimately I believe that everyone has a free will to choose and there's no guarantees. All you can do is do the best you can to point your 
your kids to Christ. And really, ultimately, it will come down to a decision that they make for themselves. It has to be personal. That's good. That's so, so good. Amen. Well, I think I would like to kind of merge these next two questions into one. And that would be, what's the call to action? How can we love beyond in reaching the next generation of youth, our young adults and future leaders? And how can we be praying for these emerging young leaders in our churches and in our country? We need each other. There's a, there's a, a concept that I learned from a dear friend, Kennedy, you know him, he's on the board of the National Day of Prayers, Nigel Big Pond. He was telling me about Native American culture where they have the elders and what he calls the young warriors. And those of us that are adults, we're elders, and we need to be speaking in uh, to the lives of these young people and these young warriors. And obviously prayer is a huge component of that. I think what I would encourage people, how do you pray into the next generation is the more personal and specific, the better. So when I say specific, if you somewhere, every single person listening to this, somewhere near you in your community, there's a school. Pray for that school. Um, there's a young person that you know, might be a relative. It might be a, a child, a grandchild. It might be a neighbor, but praying for them by name thinking of them specifically is a very important way. If you have people in your local church, you may not serve in the youth ministry, but you can be praying. So I think praying specifically and praying that you could, that your prayers would affect their hearts for Christ, that they would not only be a follower of Jesus, but be a leader in the kingdom is a very great specific way to be praying for our young people. That's so good. That's so good. What a great note to end on. Um, Because I think that's the light. I know when I've prayed for my own family members who may have walked away from Christ, how the Lord ministered to my heart was, you know, um, one, just showing me how to extend the grace that I stand in need of every day. (laughs) But also to see those who may not be living out their fullest potential in Christ to see them in that place of potential, even if that's not where they are right now. Yes. And I think that's, that's the word that you've just spoken over this entire episode is to speak blessing, to speak life, to speak destiny and identity over the next generation. And that's how we can see, you know, the change that we are so seeking you know, in our churches, in our families, in our communities, and in our nation. So you have blessed us so much. I I would love for you just to pray over it. Just take a few seconds to close this out and pray over the next generation. That would be so awesome. Love to. Kennedy, you're such a treasure. You're a dear sister, and it's been a privilege to uh, be a part of this with you. I appreciate and respect you so much, and this has been a, a real high honor. So thank you. And I'd love to love to pray. Father, thank you for these moments. We want to say that we love you. We thank you for your mercy, your grace. Kenita mentioned it, that we are always recipients of this never ending supply of grace that you have, Lord. And we, we say thank you for that. We, we pray, Lord, for this next generation. We ask, Lord, that you 
would help us, as Kanita mentioned and just yeah. spoke as well, that we would pray blessing mm-hmm. and favor over them. Lord, that we would not write them off. And as many people looked at that, that young girl that Jesus was brought into and said um, that she's, they mistook her for dead. And Jesus said, she's not dead. She's asleep, Lord. Mm-hmm. This generation of young people, they are not dead. They are not hopeless, Lord. Yeah. They are, many of them might be asleep, but Lord, we speak life over that and into them and into them as a generation. Our local churches would double down mm. and be reaching and doing whatever it takes to see these students um, impacted by the love of Christ that's overflowing from our hearts, Lord. We thank you for that. Yes. And Lord, we thank you that um, those, those of us listening today, we'd be encouraged to continue to pray for them, that your kingdom would come through them and they would be another generation to reach another generation yet to be born. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. 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 What a powerful episode. We want to thank you all for listening to the love beyond podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes that'll ignite your hearts and lives toward a prayer care share lifestyle. Follow the United in love initiative at unitedinlove.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Until next time, God bless. Thank you for joining us today. We invite you to take this moment into a movement. Go live love beyond.